All right, today's text is Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. I'm going to read that, and then we'll pray, and then we'll go into the message. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would illumine our hearts and our minds, soften the soil of our hearts, that we may receive your word, that your word will be planted and our lives will bear fruit. Father God, especially in this series on the Sermon on the Mount, shape our hearts, shape our desires, shape our vision of what a good life is, um, that we ultimately may be satisfied as you lead us to the kingdom life that you want us to pursue and to be glad in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week we started a new series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we talked, and I just want to recap a little bit, and I want to reemphasize the most important thing about remembering last week, and also sort of the context for this entire series, is to think of your life as Plato, not Plato the philosopher. I, I, maybe my pronunciation is good, but Plato. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, the little lump of clay that kids play with. Anyone play with Play-Doh growing up? Okay, I love Play-Doh. But what is the point of a Play-Doh? Is that you shape it into whatever you want it to be, right? You want to make an elephant, you kind of shape it like an elephant. You want to make an airplane, you shape it into an airplane. Think of your life as Play-Doh. And whether you consciously are shaping your life or subconsciously shaping your life, you are shaping your life into something you believe will bring you happiness, okay? All human beings, and that's why I think it's kind of both commonsensical and wonderful that the Constitution of the United States recognizes that we all pursue, pursuit of liberty and happiness is built in our DNA. We pursue happiness as people, Right? Even when we do things that may be self-detrimental, it is in the false belief that it will one day produce happiness for us. And so what I really want to do, and what I wanted to emphasize last week, is that for most of us, for most of us, our vision of happiness is defined in some ways by this notion that if I get what I want, I will be happy. Okay? That if I get what I want, I will be happy. And I, I want to really emphasize that that is only true is if you want the right things, right? And oftentimes, we don't want the right things. One of the most common things that we do as human beings is we self-sabotage our lives. We fall into destructive patterns because we falsely believe in this vision of happy life that is shaped by the world and so many voices around that ultimately, it doesn't produce what you think it would have produced, so if you're pursuing something, thinking that's going to bring you happiness and get there and it doesn't, it leads to despair. And so much of life is so fragile because we are pursuing the wrong vision of life. God, our creator, created us to be happy. Believe this. You have to believe this. God wants you to be happy. 
God wants you to have the most fruitful, most, the best version of life that you can ever imagine. That's God's will for you. And I can say it unequivocally. But oftentimes, that vision is not what we want. What we want is our own vision of life. And I, I really want the Sermon on the Mount to reshape what it is that pursues. I am probably the oldest person in this room. And one of the advantages of being older, I want to say I'm old, I'm older. Um, and you guys aren't really young, you're just younger. Uh, one of the advantages of being older is you have some experience in life. And I know from my own life experience that sometimes pursuing things that are outside of God's design for us doesn't always lead to happiness. So with that in mind, I want to talk about speech a little bit. And one of the ways that I think we sabotage our own um, vision of what a good life is. So once again, the Sermon on the Mount is about what does it mean for the good life? What does it mean for kingdom life? What does it mean for us as a community to be a people of God, right? It's really a defining sort of a sermon that shapes, that should shape what we think about community life, what community life should be, all right? I came to America in 1977 as a little boy. And early on, one of the first things I learned, I don't know if it's the first thing, I probably learned it somewhere within the first few years, was this little saying, sticks and stones may break my bones. And I've said this before, but words will never hurt me, right? And I think we say that, when, or that saying came to be because I think people wanted a reason to believe that words couldn't hurt you, right? I think when you're, you know, kids are adorable, they're beautiful, I love children, I hope to have grandchildren soon, um, but kids can be cruel too, right? Some of the things kids can say to each other. I remember when I came in third grade to America, I got into a couple of fights early on, right away. I remember I was living in Culver City, going to Bessie Ross Elementary School, and I got into it. Because sometimes kids can be mean in the things they say, and they taunt you and so forth. Words have impact in our life. Words are important. Another way that words are important is in the promises that we make, right? Some of us, we, you know, we all know what it is to intend truth, and then somewhere along the line, it kind of like a slippery slope. We slide into half-truths, right? It's so easy to intend good things and find ourselves in compromised positions, It's easy to justify our little white lies. I'm sorry, I can't go to that thing that you're hosting because I'm really, I, I've made this other engagement, and yet it's really, you don't want to go and want to hurt the person's feeling. We also can slide into exaggerations. Anyone ever exaggerate? You know, we exaggerate our achievements. Anyone do a resume? You know, you're... You're, you're making labels for files, perhaps that was your job, but on your resume, it sounds like reorganizing the data information of our, our, of our mass, you know. I mean, you can make anything sound good, 
We exaggerate our achievements. We exaggerate sometimes um, our, our intentions, stories. I mean, the classic stories of fish. You know, I went fishing, and I caught a fish <coughs> this big. And you're like, and then you tell the story the next time. And it's, boy, you know, I went fishing two years ago, and I caught a fish this big. And then you go next time, it's like, dude, I went fishing, and they can't even bring it in the boat. I had to let it go, and it just seems more exciting. It, we, we slide into half-truths and exaggerations so easily. And worst of all, we all have been on both ends, both the receiving end and the giving end of broken promises, right? How many of you have been hurt by a promise not kept? Rather, it's a friend, family, coworker. And how many of us have unwittingly or knowingly broken a promise? So we live in a world of broken promises. We live in a world of exaggerated speech. We live in a world of where truth and truth-telling sometimes are not as valued. So how do we live in such a world? Well, in the Old Testament, Jesus, or, or the, the Mosaic Law, has some provisions in order for us to survive in a world. If we were to survive in a world where truth is not always told, we have to have some means by which we can manage living together, right? If, if I was a farmer back in the day when there's no contracts or oil contracts and, and I was lending my oxen to Anthony, says, hey, can I borrow your oxen for a week? I need to fallow my ground and I will return your oxen in a week. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. He borrowed my goat last week and I, it never it didn't look the same. I don't know if it was the same goat that came back. Right? So I'm like, uh, I don't know. Like today, what we do is we just have them sign a contract, right? But back in the days when paper wasn't that common and written language wasn't, you know, you didn't have written contracts, you needed something more to assure that this person is going to follow through. And that's where oath and vows came in. So I will say, okay, well, you know what? I need you to take a vow. Okay, I need you to take a vow before God that you're going to bring this oxen back in a week. Okay? And when you take a vow, what is it that you're doing? Why does a vow work? What is the purpose of a vow? The purpose of an oath or a vow is that you are actually bringing God as a witness. So here, if I'm, if I'm making an exchange with Anthony Transaction and I call God into witness and say, Anthony, I need you to take this oath before God, what we're saying is God is now a third party is no longer a two-person contract, but it's not a three-person contract, and God is a guarantor that you're going to do what you promised to do. And that's how we got assurances, right? And so that's the opening verse of today's passage. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. So this is what Jesus is saying. This is how you used to be. This is, this is the traditional view of the law. But I'm going to give you even a better way. I'm going to give you an alternative that's even better. Because as, need, as needed, as oath and vows were as needed as they were, I, that just did not come out right. But as important as that first verse of the vows were, Jesus says, I'm going to give you, as kingdom people, a better way to be. And that is, 
I want you to be the kind of people where vows are not necessary. And there's a couple of reasons why vows are not the best way to get truth out of people. Okay? There's some built-in weaknesses of the vow system. The first is that it creates a two-tier language system. Do you know what a two-tier language system is? Two-tier language system is like a joke that this one comedian used to say. This is guy, it's a Korean-American guy, he used to make this joke like, back in the days, he used to say things like, oh, it wasn't a date. Uh, no, you, you say things like, was it a date date? You know, was it a, was it a, you know, was it a date or was it a date date? You know, was it a, were you, I, anyways, I, I just ad-libbed that. But you know what I'm saying? There's like, there's ways that we talk that says this is more weight, more serious than others, right? So there's this two-tier language system that happens when you take vows. So in one sense, I'm talking with Anthony. He wants to borrow my accent. I'm going to give him my oxen. He says, okay, hey, uh, Pastor Sam, I'm going to bring back your oxen in a week. I'm like, okay, well, that's a, that's a B-level promise. That's a second-tier promise. I want a, I want a first-grade-A kind of promise. Will you take an oath? All right? And so Anthony takes an oath, and then I go like, okay, I got an A-level promise. But what happens in a system, in a culture, or in a community where there are two tiers of languages? What happens is the second tier of language? You don't take it as seriously, right? And so what we do is we, we start to bifurcate life into two. Do you see that? And rather you guys, you all recognize this or not, we all do this. We tend to, and the reason I'm using this text to bring this issue up is we tend to bifurcate things, not just speech, but if we fall into this pattern, if we, this is a symptom of a larger malaise, if we fall into this way of dealing with people, okay, having stringing out more sincerity by formulas and vows and oaths and so forth, what we are doing is we are bifurcating our life into that which is spiritual, sacred, and holy, and that which is ordinary, mundane, and routine. We divide our lives into saying some things need to be treated more seriously and, and, and follow through, and others less so. And then that starts to create a rift in the way we live our lives. We start living our lives in a, in a disconnected way, an unholistic view. So a lot of our parents, as good as the Korean churches have been, one of the weaknesses of the Korean churches in America has been that they promoted this kind of a dichotomized view of life. So things like going to church is spiritual. How many of you feel spiritual? How many of you feel like you're doing something that God wants you to do now? How many of you feel, how many of you are trying to listen to God, what God is saying right now? Raise your hands. How many of you are trying to open your hearts to God? How many of you try to open your hearts to God when you're grocery shopping? Not many of us do, right? Because this is sacred, this is spiritual. And then the mundane becomes routine, secular, and so we kind of live this bifurcated life. But God says, what? Offer up our entire bodies, our entire life. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Every minute is lived before God. And when you have the kind of society where you take oaths, only those ones that are under the 
rubric of an oath get that special treatment. Now, what is an oath? It's calling God into a witness, right? All of our lives, Jesus reminds us, is now live before the presence of God. And that's the difference, right? It's not just the oath. It's not just the promises you make an oath with that's lived under the watchful eyes of God. It's now all of your life. Now, here's the thing about um, if, we, if we live a bifurcated life, if we use oath kind of languages, there are a couple of ways that Jesus says that our, our broken hearts, our fallen human hearts, can use a system to sort of shortcut the process. Um, we always try to game the systems. Human nature always try to game the system. So back in Jesus' day, what happens is if you look at the text, I know you guys don't, if you look at the text, look at the uh, second verse, verse 34. It says, but I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. In other words, what happened was in Jesus' day is that people said, if I swear, if, if Anthony says, I swear by God that I will bring your awesome back in a week, he's bound by the oath because we're calling God into witness. But Anthony's like, you know, deep inside, I may need that ox for a second week, but I really don't want to ask for a second week because he probably's not going to give to me. So I'm going to pretend like I only need it for one week and I'm going to keep it for a second week. I mean, he could be thinking that. So he says, uh, you know, Pastor Sam, I, will, I agree with you. I will take a vow, but instead of vowing to God, can I make a vow to heaven? Right? I'm like, why heaven? Well, you know, I just don't want to vow to God. I'll, I'll, let me, let me, I'll make an oath to you by, by heaven or by Jerusalem or by earth. So some other things related to God, but secondary. Why? Because Anthony's like, well, you know, if I make an oath to God, I'm going to have to keep it, but I'm going to Put a little loophole in. I'm gonna, I'm gonna swear it to heaven or earth or Jerusalem. That's what Jesus is saying. And then Jesus says, uh, even he's saying that's that's a wrong way of thinking because even if you swear by heaven, it is the throne of God. If you do it by earth, it is the footstool of God. If you do it by Jerusalem, it is the city of the great king. In other words, we have a tendency to manipulate words to get what we want when we have a two-tier language system. If you have a two-tier language system, you have a way to manipulate words to get what you want. And Jesus says, that's not good. That's not, that doesn't engender trust. That does not engender honesty and truth-telling in a community. And the second thing is, and do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. I think Jesus is saying sometimes when we live in this bifurcated two-level system, when we try to make vows by our own abilities, so, you know, we think that we can keep promises sometimes and then we'll swear thinking that we can follow through, right? Like, I swear I'm not going to cheat on my taxes anymore. Or I swear I'm not going to watch, um, binge watch, you know, Netflix for eight hours when I have work to do. You know, we, we have all these ambitious things that we promise to and that we swear to, but we really can't follow through. And what Jesus is saying when he says, don't swear by your head for you cannot make one hair white or black is don't overestimate your own ability to keep promises. Don't swear because you are overestimating your own ability to keep promises. So what is it that he wants us to do? He wants us to live an integrated holistic life where what we say is measured. It is tempered. And it is the recognition that not just oath, but all of our lives are now lived 
under the presence of God. We don't need oaths to bring God in as a witness. Rather, you're buying groceries, rather you're planning your vacation, or rather you're praying, rather you're feeding the poor, rather you're on missions. All of your life is now lived under the presence of God. There is no longer a bifurcated, dichotomized view of life. There is no two-level speeches. It is all under God. Your yeses and your noes are given in God's presence. I, I know this is a kind of a convoluted way of saying this, but I hope to develop the theme a little bit more in our time together is to really, my encouragement to you, is to integrate your life as best as you can. Don't create for yourself two ways of thinking about the things in your life. The things are spiritual and the things that are routine and mundane. As much as you think about ways that you serve church, think about ways that you serve God and worship God in your work or in your home, in your recreational time. All of these things are acts of worship before God. And as kingdom people, we become true representation. We become true salt and true light when we live in such a way. Amen? That's my prayer for you. Okay, let this community be such a community that is always aware that we live before the presence of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your vision of life. Lord, you want us to be a community where vows are not necessary because we recognize that all of our life now is lived before you. Every word we say now is spoken before you. Lord, give us a humble assessment of our own abilities, of our own frailties. Let us be a truth-telling, truth-loving community, O oh God, where our words can be taken at face value, where we build trust, where integrity is important. To that end, we ask that your spirit will work in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.